didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. <laughs> and I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. And this is Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast where we go week by week, chapter by chapter, taking a look at every single episode of Stranger Things. But we have gone through every episode of every season so far. And now we are in the deep, dark void of the wait between seasons four and five. And this week, we are bringing you a special episode. It's one of our influence episodes, and we're going to be talking about 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. So it came out in uh, November 9th, 1984. And I mean, you know, and I know, obviously, that this was one of the big three and still is Mm -hmm. one of the big three horror franchises. So you had Halloween that came out in 1978, and then Friday the 13th that came out in 1980. And then obviously, they launched, you know, the franchises that kept going. And then this came out in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, for whatever reason, Freddie scared me to death when I was a little, but think about it. They marketed Freddie Krueger to kids. He was on lunch boxes. He was in the toy section. Yeah, that's true. Right. The man is a pedophile. It's <laughs> well, weird, right? He was, ori- he was originally a pedophile. Then they changed it to be a child murderer. But yes, I get your point. Yeah, I, But still yeah. just kind of weird to be like, Hey, How you old- want, how old were you when you saw it? Do you remember? I mean, were you? Like- oh gosh, I was a big, big chicken when I was little. So I remember, no joke. I my mom wouldn't even let me watch the thriller video when it came out because she knew that it would give me nightmares, and I couldn't stand it. And I snuck downstairs and I watched it because I knew my brother was watching it, and I watched it through the spindles on our steps gave me nightmares for weeks which sure. was ter- of the thriller video. And I had only seen trailers of, because they would play them on TV of Freddy Krueger. And I would have nightmares about it. I remember like waking up and thinking he was standing at the end of my bed and stuff with that sure. hat, like the shadow. Yeah. So I really don't think I actually saw the, I've seen it a million times now, but I think I saw it for the first time. I was probably 11, 10, 11, maybe. So like six, seven years after it came out. Yeah, it came out when I was 13. And I I, I mean, I was aware of it and I knew about it. And I've seen clips and I saw mm-hmm. Glenn's death and, and the famous scene with her in the bathtub with the hand between her legs, you know, that bit. And, you know, the one, two, Freddie's coming for you. So, I mean, I, I was aware of all that. But I think the first time I watched it was three days ago, like all the way through. What? Like front to back. Like, you know, like sit down and actually focus. Like, you know, well, like, yeah. I know. mean, like we would always have it on at like sleepovers and stuff. Oh yeah. It no, on. it's always, it was always in the background. And yeah, I, I had seen the whole thing in chunks. So I saw the middle 20 minutes. I saw the first 10 mm-hmm. minutes. I saw the last 10 minutes, you know, but to like sit down and actually watch it. Yeah. I think this was the first time that I'd actually really? seen it all the way through. So it's still uh, good. I mean, it's good. I mean, there are cheesy, it, there are cheesy bits in it. It's but not- as a as a horror movie, it's it's not bad. It cracks me up because there's just so many stupid things that they do. Like it makes me laugh. Like, for example, and I already talked to you about this. Why is no one alarmed that they? Well, actually, before we get into this, read your summary, and then I can talk about my problems. <laughs> like okay. what I found issues with in this movie. Okay, a nightmare on Elm Street. Young Tina has a nightmare about a spooky man with blades on his fingers in a boiler room, and she wakes up with slashes in her nightgown. 
Turns out her friend Nancy and Nancy's boyfriend Glenn had similar nightmares themselves. They all have a sleepover, which is crashed by Tina's boyfriend Rod. In the middle of the night, Tina has the same nightmare again, and Rod is woken up in time to watch Tina get sliced and diced and tossed to the ceiling a bloody mess. He runs away just as Nancy and Glenn rush in to find Tina's dead, mangled body. Rod is naturally the main suspect in the eyes of Nancy's dad, the local cop, and is arrested. Later, Nancy goes to see Rod in jail, and he says he had the same nightmare too. Back home, a very tired Nancy is dozing while taking a bath, and the spooky man almost gets her, but her mom wakes her up in time. That night, Nancy has Glenn come over to watch her while she sleeps so she can get answers as to what's going on. She finds the spooky man in her nightmare, and he then kills Rod by wrapping a sheet around his neck in his cell. Nancy's parents are worried and ship her off to a sleep clinic. There, she dreams again, but before she wakes up, she nabs the spooky man's hat, which has the name Fred Krueger written in it. Nancy's mom tells her the whole story about Fred, a child murderer who had been set free because someone forgot to sign a search warrant correctly. The neighborhood then banded together and burned Freddy alive in his house. Nancy, beginning to understand what's going on, tries to warn Glenn not to sleep, but his parents won't let her talk to him. He does fall asleep and dies a bloody, bloody death. Nancy then puts her own plan in motion, setting up booby traps in the house to catch Fred. She gets him to follow her into the real world where she sets him on fire and traps him in the basement. He gets out though, and is just about to kill her mom, but Nancy, knowing Freddy feeds on fear, refuses to be afraid, so he disappears. The next morning, or whatever, Nancy and her friends, including a very much alive Tina and Rod, head to school in Glenn's car, but are trapped inside and it speeds off down the street on its own. Nancy's mom watches them go just as Freddy reaches through the door and yanks her back inside. The end of A Nightmare on Elm Street. But maybe not the end of Tina, Nancy, Glenn, and Rod. We don't know. (laughs) The ending makes zero sense. Yes. And we're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and get into plot and no, 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 no. And was this the next morning? Was it all a dream? Was it a who knows? Whatever. But no. I mean, even the yeah, the last shot of Fred kind of grabbing her, grabbing the mom. Well, and it's obvious, it's door. like so clearly a, a mannequin that he yeah, pulls yeah. through that tiny window. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like a blow-up yeah. doll. Yeah, I mean, there's that kind of stuff in it that is kind of funny, but at the same but- time it's a good jump scare i mean it's it's kind of a it just cracks me up like so many things in this movie like why is nobody alarmed that they're all having the same dream like why does nobody care and like like glenn who is the dreamiest johnny depp this is his first very first thing he's ever done this is before 21 jump street yep first movie yeah and they're at like school that day like walking in and tina's trying to tell everybody like no listen a guy murdered me in my dream it was very scary and nancy had the same dream and then i think rod mentioned having the same dream and then glenn's like i gotta get to class and then he's like i hate nightmares and as he runs away and tina's like but did you have a nightmare too like nobody's concerned well also i mean given the the carnage involved in tina's death this I is mean, the first one, and if you haven't seen this, she is. I think. I mean, it's like an iconic scene. Like she, oh yeah. that his her death and Glenn's death. But you know, she's pulled up to the ceiling. She's. I mean, blood's everywhere, and it's 
like she's in her nightgown. It gets like ripped up. Oh, it's, she gets. I mean, her stomach gets sliced wide mm-hmm. open. You know, it's just it's it's horrifying. And, and these these kids walk in and they're like, I mean, there is some shock on their face, but nobody. But nothing. Like, Nancy goes to school the next day. Right, right. And her dad, the cop, is like, Yeah, we're gonna look into this. So, yeah. And I like how Rod's like. If maybe if I'd done more, I could have saved her. Right. Like, Rod, if you'd done anything, maybe you could have saved her. You sat in the corner. <laughs> right. Staring at her. Yeah. So the cast for this, Heather Langenkamp, who is, she's just great and has gone on to become probably the scream queen, right? I mean, she's like scream queen number one. Well, her and Jamie Lee Curtis are probably. Uh, I'd say Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, I, I guess she's considered yeah. one. I mean, she's, I know she's considered one, but she did not do. She doesn't have a huge list of big movies no. on her resume. John Saxon is her dad. Ronnie Brakeley plays her mom, Marge. Well, Ross the Ross- one guy, the other cop is the deputy from Scream. Right. Yep. I don't know his name. but Robert Englund is Fred Krueger, obviously. Amanda Weiss is Tina. Nick Corey is Rod Lane. And then we mentioned that Johnny Depp is Glenn Lance in his very first movie. So before we get into kind of the connections, we can't obviously play the whole movie, but let's, let's play the trailer. I found the original trailer that came out in 1984. Oh, I love how original trailers sound. Yeah. So check this out. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? Just see cuts happen. What did that pretend? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. It's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> you believe in the boogeyman no whatever you do don't fall asleep she's the only one who can stop it if she fails i'm your boyfriend now nancy no one will survive Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good trailer, right? I mean, it's very cheesy, very 80s, but you know. Oh yeah, but I mean, that's how I, I went, kids today can't cannot replicate the feeling of everything is so instant. I know I sound like an old lady when I talk about this, but like just the, I mean, I do it too. I'm guilty of it. Instant gratification. If I hear a new movie's coming out, I'll go look on YouTube, see if there's a trailer up. I love, love trailers. I know some people hate them because they think they give away too much, but as a kid in the eighties, I mean, you had to wait, you had to wait until you were either in the theater for another movie or you had to wait for like a very, like a 30 second clip. Right. on your in the middle of your program that you're yeah watching. so that was i mean that was the original theatrical one which you could only see in the theaters mm-hmm. obviously that wasn't going to be like you know a, no. an, an ad while you were watching you know the a-team or whatever so yeah yeah it's just wild to think about that like it's yeah. just it took it, it i mean 
And, and then to go see it, you'd have to open up your newspaper. Oh, find. <laughs> like Jonathan. Time. Yes. Find the time. Find the showtime. Yep. So written and directed by Wes Craven. This was his, I believe, fifth movie. Before then, he had done his first movie was Last House on the Left in 1972. He also did uh, Hills Have Eyes in 77, Swamp Thing in 82, and then obviously came back in the 90s. And and most people today know him from doing the Scream series. He did Scream 1 through 4, wrote and directed um, all those. Swamp Thing? He did Swamp Thing in 1982. Fun fact. Yeah. That was my favorite movie when I was two years old. How weird is that? Yes. Like my mom said that I would ask for because I was like I was allowed to have a bottle I still liked them like I was allowed to have a bottle when I took a nap and she said I would ask for a bottle and I would hide it under my blanket and I would want to watch Swamp Thing until I fell asleep (laughs) that's very strange that's very very weird I think I liked like the swamp guy I thought he was nice could be yeah so New Line Cinema was this was the first movie that they actually produced and distributed they were at the time just you know kind of a more of a distribution house than anything but they decided to actually get into producing movies robert shea was the head of new line cinema at the time and they were this close to declaring bankruptcy and not not being able mm-hmm. to do anything and then they caught nightmare on elm street and so nightmare on elm street has gone on to be known as the house that freddie built uh, sorry new line cinema is the house that Freddie built because basically they kept the, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street kept New Line Cinema alive and they stayed alive until 2008, I think, when... Uh, I was going to say, they're not around anymore, right? Yeah, Warner Brothers bought them. So, I mean, they're still there, but they're a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. So, Nightmare on Elm Street, we mentioned, came out November of 1984, had a $1.2 million opening weekend, which was fine. It wasn't great. Horror was not... Horror had died out. Yeah. I mean, like it was, this was like the first of, I guess it, I shouldn't say died out, but like it, this was like a new generation of horror. This was a new type when they started in with these slashers. The number one movie was, Oh God, You Devil, the George Burns comedy. Oh yeah. Number two was Terminator in its third week. And then No Small Affair, Places in the Heart, A Soldier Story, Amadeus, Teachers. And then Silent Night, Deadly Night came out um, the same weekend. And really? actually, and actually made a little bit more than Nightmare. And then oh my gosh, me, that's hilarious! Yeah, and then Nightmare that? was Nightmare. Nightmare was number ten. So, no, I have not seen Silent Night, Deadly Night. No, so, I mean I'm I, I'm aware of it. I know what, that it's out there, but I yeah. never, you know. So it went on to Nightmare. Went on to make twenty five million dollars domestically, which is huge at the time. Fifty seven million globally, and it was all on a little over a million dollar budget. So good on them. And I, I really to think about it, it's like built the foundation for these like teen slashers that were coming up yeah. at that time. Like, you know, which I feel like is wild considering the satanic panic was hitting right around the eighties. That's true. Yeah. It was right about that time. 83, 84, mm-hmm. 85, right in there. So Charles Bernstein wrote the score, not a very notable and or memorable score. It's certainly not as iconic as John Carpenter's Halloween music. And then he also did the the nursery rhymey kind of thing, which is iconic and, and a lot of people remember it. And that's what that's what this is. Two friends come for you. Three, four, then lock your door. Five, six, 
Yeah, uh, Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend wrote that. How weird is that? Yeah. Do you remember? I don't know. I feel like I'm the only person that ever remembers this. Will Smith did a parody. It wasn't a parody. They did a rap song that was called A Nightmare on My Street. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. And if you watch the video, they it is like some Freddie knockoff and they wouldn't let Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff like have the rights to use the Freddie stuff, which is funny because I feel like at that point when they came out with that, they were already, they were bigger than what Freddie was. Freddie was brand new. Right. So I just think it's weird that they wouldn't let him use it. They like forced yeah, him to some like knockoff. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I I had forgotten all about that actually. I'll, I'll post a link to it so you guys can see the video for that. So yeah, I, I do yeah. remember that song. Yeah, certainly. So I went back and I looked. I don't know. We're, we're getting to the Stranger Things stuff eventually. Hang yes. on. Yes, we're, we're getting there. So I went back and looked just out of curiosity to see if, like the original movie critics, kind of their reaction to it. It it's currently still holds a ninety five percent rating on Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes, which is kind of incredible oh yeah i mean i but i feel like it's probably up there with halloween and yeah the yeah they're all right i mean yeah halloween was like 96 percent, and i think uh friday the 13th was lower but i mean it's my least such, favorite yeah there's just such iconic movies so yeah paul atanasio who was the critic for the washington post at the time part of his review said for such a low-budget movie, Nightmare is extraordinarily polished. The script is consistently witty. The camera work by cinematographer Jacques Haitken is crisp and expressive. Haitken has bathed the movie in a perversely refreshing baby blue. The camera's movement in the action, sequence, action sequences confidently evokes the geometry of the surrounding space, usually a dark and steamy boiler room. You always feel you know where you are vis-a-vis the monster, so when he pops up out of nowhere, it's that much more shocking. So that's a pretty good review for. Well, yeah, for horror in general, because yeah, horror yeah. typically gets horror movies do not. They rarely get good reviews. Right. Yeah. They're but, very rare. Like, and, and this is one where I could I see like 10, 15 years after the fact, going back and retroactively saying this was a good movie. It was influential. Yes. And but at the time, I can't. Right. You know, it's kind of hard to think that that would be a review for it. So. Well, and I think also over the years, Freddie became so much more he like had all these wisecracks and made all these puns true and yes. the the further you get in the series the less scary he is because yeah. he's i mean he's still a burnt up man with with knives for fingers but he's still like he's making jokes and he's a pun true. master that is true so, yeah. it, it does get kind of hokey yeah yeah it does definitely does and so i can see them saying like you said like now that they could be like they could see the effect that it had over the years right. but back then and especially now because we're used to the pokiness of freddie that it's refreshing to go back and see true the first one and see that he was actually terrifying yeah i mean the whole concept's terrifying you can't get away from him right yeah like it's someone that loves sleep as much as i do it is it, the, the movie <laughs> gives me anxiety because i'm it's like your how, worst nightmare <laughs> how would i do it right? how would i do it Okay, before we, I have one more thing, and I swear I'll let this go after this. We can talk about Stranger Things, but I need to know what kind of qualifications you think that dream doctor had. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was just so laissez-faire. It's like, okay, we're gonna take you to. Why do they? Like, what what kind of school do you go to to be a dream doctor? Right. <laughs> I'm a doctor of dreams. 
And he's like, there's the beta waves. She'll be dreaming within three to four minutes. Yeah. Sir, you do not know. <laughs> <laughs> you do not know that for sure. And then when she does start screaming, they're like, is she awake? Is she asleep? And guys, go in and check on her. Like, what? oh God, I have so many issues with okay. like just stupid stuff like that. But it makes me laugh. It entertains me to say the least. But the reason why we're here... <laughs> Yes. Back to. So, you know, obviously there are a ton of movies that influence Stranger Things, you know, Goonies and E.T. and Poltergeist and Close Encounters. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. But we figured we'd start here because there are a lot of very obvious, you know, you don't have to be a student of cinema to catch the nuances. Right. You know, so we, we picked the top five ways that Nightmare influenced Stranger Things. So number five, We have to start with the kick-ass lead character named Nancy. So we have Nancy Thompson, played by Heather Langenkamp in Nightmare on Elm Street. And we have Nancy Wheeler, played by Natalia Dyer in Stranger Things. And that Mm -hmm. could not have been an accident. No. And even if you notice in by season four, she looks more like Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Her hair gets curly. She gets, I mean, obviously she's changing with the times, but you can tell, like it is a very obvious wink wink too yeah i agree so number four was kind of like the overhaul you know i kind of went with the overall plot idea so the idea of kids being haunted in their dreams and the whole nightmare aspect so this obviously comes up in season four of stranger things with max and her nightmares and and the shared trauma with chrissy and patrick and fred and what they're going through and when they're searching the whole mindscape in general is very much like it is basically what freddie does he gets to them i mean technically they're not asleep but he still gets to them when they're unconscious and then they can't escape and it it was all a very you can just there's no way you can deny that a nightmare on elm street did not influence so so much especially stranger things season four Right. I mean, they keep referring to them as nightmares when they break into Miss Kelly's office. They're looking for kids that also had nightmares and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that obviously plays in. And then I remembered, actually, when I was going back and thinking about it, you remember the episode called The Lost Sister from? Nope. Never heard of it. So in the Lost the lost Sister episode, when Callie and Elle go to visit Ray in his apartment to, you know, kind of settle the score or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's watching Punky Brewster. This is the clip that is playing all the yeah. episodes of Punky Brewster. This is the clip they picked. Yep. Punky, what's the matter? I had a nightmare. So even that, I mean, the, the idea of nightmares just keeps coming back and back and back. So that was our number four reason. Number three. Number three, we have the monster coming through the wall, which throwback to season one, when the Demogorgon somehow makes the wall all stretchy and is trying to break through from the upside down into the real world. Right. And so in the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, I went on the Warner Brothers um, actual site and they had like a retrospective look back at Nightmare and Mm -hmm. everything that went into it. And they said special effects wizard Jim Doyle created the wall in Nightmare on Elm Street, which is the one over uh, Nancy's bed. bed. Yeah. Created the wall out of spandex material so that Freddy's presence could stretch through it when Nancy falls asleep in bed. It was, in fact, Doyle's face and hands that stretched through the wall and reach out for Langenkamp. So 
then when they wanted to do the same thing the duffers did in stranger things they tried doing it and this is a clip of them talking about how that went nightmare on elm street was a huge film for us growing up it really scared us but we couldn't help but keep watching it episode three in season one when uh holly goes up to the wall and you can see the demogorgon moving from behind the wall which is very similar to when you see freddy krueger coming out of the wall above nancy's bed in nightmare on elm street but it's funny because in nightmare on elm street they tried they did that practically that effect of krueger coming through the wall with latex and that's what we attempted to do and, and failed we basically had our dim our, our monster a guy in a suit um, pressing him, his face and hands through the wall. And it wasn't particularly scary. We had a little, the little toddler on set um, playing Holly, and she thought it was amusing, which was a sign that it wasn't exactly working. So we had to uh, enhance it quite a bit with uh, CG and post-production. So it, it, we were, especially in season one, determined to do everything practically, and I think maybe it was like a 50% success rate. But it makes you more impressed about yeah, in terms of, or more blown away by what they were able to achieve back then. So they, it's good. You know, they they tried to do it practically, but it it just wasn't wasn't scary enough for Aniston, huh? Yeah. So number two kind of also goes back to the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street and the plot of Stranger Things, and that is kind of the origin of the villain. L throws Henry through the Rainbow Room wall. He gets banished out into the wherever, and then comes back you know, into the, you know, real world, whatever. And, kind and he's of, all is haunting everybody, which is very similar to, you know, Fred Krueger getting burned alive and dying and then coming back. So, well, and he's also all burn up like, like Vecna is like Vecna has a gross face when he returns. So does Freddie. I'm sure Freddie didn't look like that before. Right. And the hand, the, the, the creepy <laughs> Vecna's <laughs> mutant claw. Well, I, you know, you say that and I always thought that Vecna's, claw was like a link to the D version of vecna because he had like the right hand of vecna and there was like something special about one of his hands and i right. was like well maybe it's bigger than the other and it like i thought that, i didn't realize sure. that was I, I think there is that but you also can't look at his hand and not think of freddy Cruz. no i agree i agree but i was yeah. just saying i thought yes okay the dual reference right okay so before we get to number one I wanted to talk a little bit about just some bonus extra little kind of trivia, little references, Easter eggs, if you will. Obviously, season one, episode seven, the bathtub. This is when Elle is being chased by Brenner and the vans and it's the van flip episode. Mm -hmm. So he says, meet me at Elm and Cherry. And I remember at the time we talked about Elm Street. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And then also like immediately after that, well, here's here's the clip of of that bit. Where are you, Cornwallis? Hey man, Elman, Jerry. Copy, Elman, Jerry. Okay. That's it. This way, come on. Out of the way! Out of the way! So yeah, so there's the girls. I mean, they're doing patty cake in Stranger Things as opposed to jumping rope, but there's no reason on earth for them to be doing that. So No, other than like a little throwback. And then I have the uh, season two, episode eight, the mind flare, where they go to the boiler room and then the boiler room connection with just Freddie is always in the boiler room. Yeah. Oh, when Bob and and, Bob and L. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, And then 11. And then L goes down in season four into the same boiler room. Yeah. Yes. So, 
I mean, there's no reason for them. Like, why would, I mean, obviously places have boiler rooms, but it was a very specific. Right. Like trip to this specific room. (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh, Season three, episode three, case of the missing lifeguard. So this is Heather and Billy and all that stuff. When Elle and Max go to the Holloway house and they, the house has a bright red door. Interestingly though, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, the door is blue on the house. And I had forgotten that actually. It's just so like Mandela effect that, that it becomes red from the movies after the first one. So bright red door and the house number for the Holloways is 1438 as opposed to 1428 Elm Street, which was the address for the Thompson family. So yeah. And I think the Duffers talked about that. Yes. too, Like making that like an actual thing. So the next thing I have is the, is in season four, episode two, Vecna's curse when Dustin and Max go into family video with Steve and Robin and they're looking for reefer Rick. And in the background, you can see uh, Freddie like cut out, like standing. Oh, cut out the, the yeah, background. the video store thing. Yep. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. So season four was 86. I don't know. Had Dream Warriors come out by then? No, uh, 87, actually. Oh, so it must have been from Nightmare 2. Two, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Or maybe the original. We don't know. Yeah. Anachronisms abound. So sure. <laughs> and then finally, we get. Like the only real Nightmare on Elm Street by name call out in the whole series, which was season four, episode five, the Nina project. And this is when Dustin and Nancy come upstairs to find Max sitting at the dining room table in the Wheeler house with Holly. Maybe you infiltrated his mind. He invaded your mind, right? Is it that big of a leap to suggest you somehow wound up in his? Like Freddy Krueger's boiler room. Freddy Krueger? He's a super burned up dude with razors for fingers and he kills you in your dreams. Dustin, seriously? Sorry. It's a movie. It's not real. I love how Holly wrinkles her little nose and says it. I, it's yeah. one of my favorite. I like, Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. How she says it. I love it. Yeah. So those are like little Easter eggy things. And then obviously the generic horror tropes of being set in a small town and being set in the eighties and having horribly unhelpful parents or absent parents. Well, it wouldn't work if you didn't have them. I'm convinced if, if horror movies wouldn't happen with kids today, that's why all these horror movies we're seeing are taking you back to the eighties is because that's the only time it works. It's when parents were not paying attention to what we were doing. We didn't have cell phones to save us. And we didn't have the internet. So, and it made it more fun. That brings us to the number one way that we think (laughs) Nightmare and Stranger Things are are related. And it's pretty obvious. Freddy Krueger himself is in Stranger Things season four. And I think we've talked about this, but do you know that he approached the Duffers to be in? They yeah. didn't look him, they didn't look him yeah, up. He no, because I know, I, I actually, I just heard like an interview he did recently that he actually auditioned in season three for the part of Mayor Klein, which ended up going to Carrie Elwes. Yeah. And I mean, he, huh. he, he was, he was talking about it, you know, they went a different direction, went younger, which they obviously did. So it was nothing really against him. They just kind of. No, I just, and, and Carrie Elwes has that smarmy. Right. You know, greasy type of, you know, slimy mayor. 
feeling. Whereas I couldn't, I mean, I don't know. Robert England has played a couple roles like that. Yeah. So, so here's the Duffer brothers talking about how it all came to be with Robert England. I, I would have never even thought to ask him. I wouldn't have thought he would have done it. And then he just sent in a tape. Like suddenly, like we were, we were just looking at actors to play Victor Creel. Yeah. And then suddenly there was a tape of Robert England like lying in a bathtub, just like just lines. pouring his heart out into the scene, saying the lines. And I was just like, this is incredible. I wow. can't believe this is happening. And then, yeah, to have him on set, I wore my Dream Warrior shirt to set and like just talked to him a little bit about, you know, Freddy Krueger. And he, he likes talking about you know, Freddy in the Nightmare series. So it wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was bothering him. So, but beyond that, he's just amazing in, in this show and in, in that particular episode. He's just a great performer. He's a, and I honestly, I wish we had thought about it before, but we're so lucky that he sent it in because the minute he did, we just, we were just jumping. You were geeking out yourself. So it wasn't our idea. It was Robert's idea. Yeah. And we'll post a link to that, obviously. So this is season four, episode four, Dear Billy. That was the episode that Robert England was in as Victor Creel. We obviously have the bit where he's scraping his fingernails on the table. And, and that was actually uh, Sean Levy's idea, uh, England said in an interview, actually. Uh, they just wanted to do it as a, like, another little wink. It wasn't in the script or anything. And again, the whole nightmare theme comes up because when he's talking about his story. And the dream in his song is dream a little dream. And, you know, we were living, waking, living nightmares and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So that's what we had for linking Stranger Things and Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, so it was obviously a very big inspiration for the series, especially in season four. If you haven't watched it, I believe you can still check it out on HBO Max. My guess is it will be available through October because we're coming up on spooky season. And in two weeks, we are going to give you your first top five list. Yep, and we figured we'd come out of the gate strong with our first one. So the initial top five list that we're going to have is top five Stranger Things needle drops. So times that popular or pre-recorded music have been used in Stranger Things. So we're talking Running Up That Hill, Master of Puppets, Never Ending Story, Hazy Shade of Winter, Heroes. We will each have our own top five list, and we also want to hear from you. So if you want to throw together your top five list or a couple or your favorite all-time Stranger Things needle drop, you can email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, and it will be the episode will come out on September 22nd. So if you want to get us your emails by no later than September 20th, we would appreciate it, and we will try to get them on the show. If you enjoy this podcast and you want us to keep doing it, like, subscribe, review, especially on Apple iTunes, because that's what helps get us in front of other potential listeners like yourself. So that does it for this episode. Tune back in in a couple weeks and we'll be back with the best needle drops. So I want to thank everybody for listening and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Pixabay.